Hey colorful people, welcome to my show Allies in Politics, where I help people of color and new citizens understand Australian politics. We've got two guests today from the Australian Progressives Party. Firstly, we've got Therese Faulkner. Therese lives and works in Canberra. She's a mum, grandmother, stepmother and wife, as well as the president of the Australian Progressives and MD of the International Development Contractors Community. She has worked in international development for the best part of 30 years in government with OZMD and DFAT and in the private sector with GHD. Therese is inspired by her professional and personal experiences to contribute to a better society through politics. She ran as an election candidate for the party in the 2019 federal election and in the 2020 ACT election. You also might have seen Therese on a TV quiz show too. Uh, she was a contestant on The Chase, Pointless, Mastermind, and also Hard Quiz. What a resume. Welcome to the show, Therese. Thanks, Tarini. Very happy to be here. I'll have to I'll have to take a drink after that. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay. Um, and then we also have Edward Carroll. Edward is one of the general executives of the Australian Progressives, and he has been with the party for about four years now. Outside of politics, this Brisbane resident loves spending time with his family of two young boys with a third on the way. He is passionate about music and has studied jazz and is also a lifelong singer in choirs and barbershop choruses. Congrats on the baby and welcome to the show. Thank you, Tarini. Thank you for, being, for inviting me. When I was checking out the Australian Progressives website, there was one particular line that caught my attention. Under your platform outline, you say, our goal is to end poverty. Are you trying to end world hunger or something? Well, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to do? Um, but no, look, um, as you mentioned in the introduction, I, I work in international development and much of our um, quest there is to end world poverty and, and poverty is measured by all sorts of metrics worldwide. And I, I think people will be interested to hear that in a wealthy country like Australia, even though we are an OECD member country, which is a club of the, the richest countries in the world, we still have plenty of poverty in Australia. And the, the sort of term that's used is relative poverty. So where um, people earn income less than 50% of the median in income in Australia, you're classified as being in poverty. So the Australian Council of Social Services, ACOS, um, they have got statistics that show that uh, one in eight adults are living in poverty in Australia and one in six children are living in poverty in Australia. So it's here and uh, we would like to end that. But I'll pass to Ed. He might have a few more things to say about it. Yeah, it's um, thank you, Therese. It's, it's a really big issue and it's kind of an unseen issue. It's, it feels a bit invisible. You know, you, you don't really think of any friends of yours that might be in, in struggling with poverty or, you know, you can't really, some people might know someone that, you know, they get a bit behind on bills or something, but, you know, how many people know someone that is, is actively homeless or is, is actively struggling to, to put food on the table. Um, but to, to put it in kind of relative terms. So uh, what Therese mentioned with the OECD, uh, we have the 16th highest uh, rate of poverty in the OECD. And that's about, about 34 countries, I think it is, um, in, in there. 
And so we, we've got higher rates of poverty than the UK, um, higher rates of poverty than Germany, even our next door neighbours in New Zealand. We've, we have uh, higher levels of poverty than, than the Kiwis. Um, and it's about 3.24 million people that, that, you know, are missing out on, on accommodation, on food, on work. Um, so, you know, that's a, a big invisible issue. So poverty isn't a third world problem then. It's very much here and it's real, but it's so invisible. Um, what, what sort of people are usually affected by poverty? Um, are certain groups more susceptible to that? Or? Yeah, certain groups are. Um, the, some, some of the biggest indicators of poverty is, um, first of all, access to housing. Um, so the the number one thing that um, that causes poverty is is safe access to housing. Um, so that's whether or not you can pay rent and how much that that rent comes out of your your total pay packet. So if you're on welfare, they are the number one highest uh, risk group for people on well, on uh, at risk of poverty. Um, one of the fastest growing uh, rates and and kind of uh, subsets of people is actually. Uh, women over 55 um, and that that is by far and away the fastest growing rate of, of homelessness and people falling into poverty um, and so that's you know the women they they leave their husband or something happens and you know they just get kicked out of the house um, they might still have an office job they might still be making good money but they just can't afford a house or uh, housing rates in Australia are, are so tight and there's such low levels of, of available housing that they just can't get in. Um, and so, you know, they, they might be an office worker right next to you and they live in their car. What what brings a person to that situation? Like what actually causes poverty? What causes poverty? Um, there are so many complex areas um, to explore here. So we won't go into all of them due to time. But one one is um, a, a cycle of poverty. So if you're, you're born into a, a poor family, uh, if your parents um, are unable to work or if there's um, social issues in your family such as um, uh, addiction or um, abuse, that sort of thing, um, that, that can set up that cycle of poverty for, for children um, and, and um, their children. Also, um, joblessness um, causes poverty as well. So, um, not everyone in Australia can can get a job that easily, um, and the reasons for joblessness include um, uh, access, lack of access to education, lack of access to opportunities. Uh, we do see um, poverty affect um, people from um, the culturally and linguistically diverse communities as well. Um, so yeah, lots of lots of reasons for poverty, um, and I'll, I'll let. Ed, uh, explain that a bit more before I look into ways to fix it. Yeah, it's um, in particular, it does affect um, people from diverse backgrounds. Um, some of the highest rates of poverty are actually amongst uh, people that come from Africa, um, particularly North Africa, um, and people from the Middle East as well. Um, so um, a lot of people like refugees, they come from Iran or Afghanistan or Somalia or, or um, Sudan. Um, you know, they come to Australia and unfortunately the way that our, our governments have been dealing with refugees and asylum seekers for the past 20 years at least um, has been atrocious. 
um, the, mm-hmm. the, the political will to actually help people um, mm. in, and to be what Australia used to be and what we want Australia to be uh, is completely different to what the reality is today. So is that, does that have a lot to do with the fact that they can't procure employment in the first place? For, for the people that come to Australia, yes. And that's, um, that is purely a government decision. Um, poverty is a political choice. Um, and that's something that we say mm. a lot um, because it is mm. it is absolutely true. Um, and the reasons behind that are the choices that the government makes and the actions that they take. Okay, so you've got foreigners or uh, refugees coming in and then, you know, they, they being one of the groups that end up, you know, suffering from poverty. What about the Indigenous people? Yeah, Indigenous rates of poverty are, um, are terrible. So the statistics will show that... Um, that uh, um, Indigenous disadvantage is alive and kicking and and terrible. And as Ed mentioned, um, the political will needs to be there to solve this. If if money alone could solve poverty, um, no one would be living in poverty in Australia, and our Indigenous people mm. would not have the um, not suffer the disadvantage that they do because we are a wealthy country. You can't argue with that. We're we're up there with huge GDP and GDP per capita is high. So what is it that um, is missing in terms of tackling poverty? Well, so much of it is around the policy settings and that political will to do something about it. So isn't that crazy that during the pandemic, the government managed to find all this money to 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 give people to <laughs> that have been out of jobs like you know and also manage to find money to give large corporates essentially a handout too that they they need not return uh except for public pleasure yeah. <laughs> being the reason why some of these yes. companies are returning the money back um so it's it's not a case of that we don't have money we have money and we can find it mm-hmm. um so why can't they, why do you think that they can't just continue doing what they've done? Yeah, I think the pandemic has shown us that lots of things are possible, that um, governments do tend to talk about the economy rather than about the people. Um, mm. But the pandemic, I think, has changed that. And as you mentioned, it has um, demonstrated that um, the government has access to to money and access to delivery of services and access to mm. employing additional people. So there's all sorts of programs you can put in place if, if you want to put them in place. And I think that um, talking about the economy can be quite um, oh, quite misleading sometimes that, you know, if, mm. if we're wanting to get the economy from the red back into the black, what does that even mean these days? Fundamentally. No what, idea. Yeah, <laughs> there, there you go. Not, not many people do. Um, but yes, mm. we, we've managed job job keeper and job seeker um, payments um, being yep. increased. And if we go into further debt, um, what's the consequence of that? Um, mm. So we, we are True, able to, point. yeah, we, we are able to um, use politics and, and government mm. um, services to, to make a difference if we choose to. Mm. Um, well, that's that's good to know. Sorry, Ad, you're about to add. Yeah, that. sorry. Just one last thing before we move on. It's, it's also really important to note during the pandemic, in particular during 2020, um, when we had the first big main lockdown, it's it's really important to note who missed out on on payments as much as who got payments. Um, so yes. the, the government, you know, they, they put in JobKeeper, they paid all these businesses, 
um, that we now know, um, you know, they still made profits and they kept the money anyway. That's, you know, it's not good. It's not a good thing. They should be paying it back, but that's not really as much of an issue. Um, so job seeker, um, which is people that went on to unemployment, they weren't full-time or part-time employed. So they had to go on um, mm. the, what they used to call new start was the unemployment benefit. Um, they mm -hmm. renamed to job seeker. They doubled that rate and then took that away for no reason. Um, they, they didn't have to, to stop the, what they were calling a surplus payment. Um, mm. they, they didn't have to go back to the old rate, which was below the poverty rate. Um, and they, they specifically made that choice. They also made the choice to leave out a lot of people from that increase. So people that yep. were on disability support pension, people that mm. were on age pension, um, and people that, that didn't get any sort of pension because they, they weren't citizens. So people that yep. were on student visas, on working visas, um, mm. you know, they don't have access to government payments. Yep. They couldn't go home. Their countries yep. closed their borders. They were physically stuck in Australia and they got nothing. No government's news, not a dollar. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I know for a fact that the international student community was heavily supported by their own communities. Hmm. Like the Indian businesses really turned up for them. I spoke to one lady who is the CEO of a migration agent and she's Indian. Um, she, she was like creating uh, like packages of food like culturally appropriate food to go and hand out to to international students or visa holders that just didn't have any support. Um, so it wasn't really <laughs> the government that really showed up for them. It was actually um, exactly. these, the, the communities. Um, hmm. So thank you for bringing that up. That was indeed a very important point, and it is true. A lot of people got left out. And also not not forgetting to mention the uh, the the community of artists mm. as well because they've never had secure employment uh, <laughs> ever so you know that that big group um got left out and you know melbourne where i am at <laughs> wouldn't be what it is without without that uh, absolutely community. yeah so um so you know uh, there are all these issues and obviously poverty is a big issue to tackle what, what's your party going to do about it I mean, it's it's great that you, you're aware of all these problems, but we need solutions. Yeah, we really do, Tarini. Um, so our, our party, um, the, the elimination of poverty is one of our fundamental objectives. And we do have um, four policies that, that um, we, we think will make a difference. So one of the policies is that we um, support other policies to end poverty and homelessness. So when you have um, organisations, for example, where I am in the ACT, the ACT Council of Social Services has got um, a, a very comprehensive report on how to um, end poverty in the ACT, we would support the um, adoption and implementation of those pre-existing policies. Um, we also would, um, we have a, a policy that we will prioritise housing, uh, so housing mm. as shelter and as a house to live in rather than mm. over tax minimisation and investment. So mm. there are a lot of policies currently in government around um, home ownership, but that often helps people who have got two or three homes as opposed yes. to young people right. looking to um, to buy their to buy a home or to rent a house. Mm. So we mm. think housing as shelter is an absolute priority. Uh, our third policy is that we um, 
support the implementation of a universal basic income in Australia, uh, otherwise known as UBI. Lots, lots of people think, oh, if people, if you, if you implemented UBI, you'll just have a lazy a group of people that are just lazy. <laughs> no, not at all. People, people want to work, though. People want to work. Yeah. <laughs> I love I love playing FIFA as much as anyone else. I love my Xbox, but you know when when we had the shutdown and I was stuck at home, I worked in hospitality, so um, yeah. you know a good three months I was I was completely out of work, reliance on on JobKeeper. I was lucky enough to get, mm. and mm. I was going crazy. I just wanted to get back behind a bar. <laughs> <laughs> And get abused yeah. by your customers. Exactly. I missed it. I missed oh. it so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's it's crazy that people think that, it, I mean, there have, there have been instances of when, you know, some people have done research in, you know, on, on UBI, and it's something that actually could work, especially since everything is going to become automated in the future who knows we might get robot politicians and then you know and then maybe maybe then you know you'd be advocating for like ubi and be like yeah we should get paid <laughs> robot took over over our jobs but still um why why is it so controversial <laughs> I guess it's controversial because of uh, exactly what what you what you said before. Um, is there a um, unintended mm -hmm. consequence of an of a UBI in that people don't want to work? As Ed said, people want to work. There's been plenty of research on UBI, and it, it doesn't drive down employment. In fact, it gives people a lot more self reliance. It takes away the notion that you are a welfare recipient, and mm. um, and it takes away the stigma associated with that. It gives people um, self reliance. It also recognises and rewards uh, traditional um, caring roles as well. So if you're mm. a person that has opted not to undertake M employment in the workforce while you're raising children good because raising children and looking after the kids or caring for elderly parents or for mm. a person in your house with a disability um what why not um be paid for that through the wealth that this country generates so, so that's the, yeah. i guess the mindset around ubi that we, we are a wealthy country as i mentioned before and why can't every um resident of this country enjoy the spoils of that wealth through a universal it, basic income it's just a theory i'm, I'm not sure if that's a real fear do business owners owners fear that nobody would want to work for them because they're such horrible bosses <laughs> maybe because because <laughs> honestly if there's no motivation like if they can't use the payment or salary as 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 something like a dangling carrot in front of people's faces like then they've really got to be good bosses well that's right and and, and pay <laughs> that's probably hard. more than minimum wage which um mm. is, is a good thing so perhaps that could be one of the reasons why a lot of people are against it because then it flips the table on them and they need to do better <laughs> as employers yeah, that's uh, right. rather than asking employees to be better employees and be more productive with yeah um was there a fourth one, Theresa? Yes, and the fourth one. Um, <laughs> Have we, did we get three? We got three. So we've got the we okay. adopt other policies, uh, public yes. housing as shelter and uh, yeah. UBI. And the fourth one yeah. is increasing access to job seeker services. 
So um, again, having a combination of, um, of uh, UBI is good because that takes away the notion of welfare, mm. gives mm. people a, a basic income. But um, yes, we think people do want to work and access to job seeker services we think is a, is a good policy as well. Um, mm, and 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 what what is that the same as job active? Because there are a lot of terminologies that are very confusing out there. Like obviously, new start was something that existed before, and then it got replaced. Is so? Is there a difference? Yeah, job active. I think I'll get Ed to talk about that because yeah. he knows a bit more yeah. about it than I do. It's um th- this one's a particular bugbear of mine because it's um. So it's interesting you do mention job active. So job active is the government's um, like employment service scheme. So it's a, you do mm-hmm. training, you do that kind of thing. Um, you mm. get sent off to private institutions. Um, so the government pays private institutions money um, to either get people a job or train them in new skills. Mm. Um, what's what's good about certain things is that you do have the ability to to retrain if you want to learn something new. You can get um, uh, you know, you can go to somewhere and and reskill essentially. Um, mm. that, that is actually something that I did. I directly benefited from that uh, with the lockdown. So I finally okay. got out of hospitality. Um, I, I went through a um, a government scheme that gave me mm. a certificate in warehousing, and I'm I'm now in warehousing and logistics. Oh, great! Um, so that kind of thing, that's great. What's not so great is what we call uh, mutual obligations. Um, mm. So mutual obligations is is basically a um, a system that the government uh, uses, and it was put in by uh, by the Labor government in the nineties, um, mm-hmm. where if you're on a welfare payment, um, particularly a job seeking welfare payment, mm-hmm. um, you have to kind of prove that you're looking for work. Um, okay. So this is where the era of the dole bludger kind of started to come into to use. Um, so people okay. started talking about instead of instead of being a welfare recipient, you know, you're down in your luck, you you lost your job, here's a bit of money to help you until you get your next one. It's you know the the slovenly you know bloke at home that doesn't want to work and just stays on on the government money. Yeah. You know yeah. that that kind of narrative started to come yeah. through in the nineties, and that's that's come was through there, today. Was there any truth? truth to that narrative people as we said before people want to work um mm. I've, I've i've been on job seeker before i've um, i've on new start when it was that and mm. and i got offered as soon as i could because i wanted to actually you know get more money than what you what you get um yeah. through even even through a ubi or something you know it only pays for so much the cost of housing yeah. and the cost of food and everything else still adds up you still need more um, so people yeah. still have an incentive to work um, but what right. mutual obligations does is it puts undue stress and um, a, a really, really hard proof of, of burden for people to actually prove that they are actively looking for jobs in mm-hmm. not in a good way. So you okay. know, if, if you live in a small town and there's only five jobs available yeah. in, you know, like your bookstore or your petrol station or yeah. whatever else, yeah. um, with the government standard, you have to look for 20 jobs a week. Doesn't matter across the whole of Australia. So you need to be going out and applying on seek for whatever. So you can, you know, you just go put into whatever roles you want. It doesn't actually matter as long as you can prove that you've searched for jobs. Mm. Um, It's bad for employees because they get junk resumes. People, you know, they're they're not suited to the qualifications. It's not what they want to do. They just have to do this kind of thing. 
Um, yeah. And it's a lot of stress for people because if they don't do it, they lose their money. So if they live in a country town, for instance, then and they're looking for a job in the city, but yet they aren't able to move to the city for their job, then that's kind of pointless. Very, very pointless. And we see in the other, um, on the flip side of that, people living in the city, there's mm. no work around them and the government's mm. saying, oh, just go get a job fruit picking. Okay, great. How do I pay for accommodation there? How do I get transport out there? Yeah. You know, yeah. what do I do there? Yeah. You know, and we have a lot of stories of people that do actually go out fruit picking and, you know, there's, there's stories of underpayment. Yeah. Um, the farmers, you know, some of the really, really bad stories you hear is they have mm. forced accommodation that they then take out of your money so you get less for yeah. it, you know, you know below yeah. minimum wage. Uh, yeah. It's basically slavery, modern, modern day slavery sort of. Yeah. Um, and yeah, pe- and, and people of colour are particularly susceptible to this. Um, for language barriers as well, that's a mm. really, really big issue. Yeah. And, and and that's and that's something that I've heard. I don't know how true this is that um, some of the farmers, the bad ones, not everyone, they don't want to pay. Um, yeah, the 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 minimum wage, no. um, or they want to pay below, <laughs> um, and therefore they also don't want to hire Australians, anyways, because then you'd have to abide by the rules. They'd r- rather hire. Yep. Yeah, are, someone, someone of colour, migrants and refugees who don't know what their rights are mm. and then you can just pay them whatever and, and then that brings them to the cycle of poverty because they can't get out of it. They're exactly working, working, right. working. <laughs> They're getting paid enough for like their basic necessities and not be able to save up for anything more in life. Um, so it's it's great that that's how you're going to end, <laughs> how you're going to work towards ending poverty. It, it feels um, like it's a really, really big issue. You know, how do you take it on something as big mm-hmm. as, as ending poverty? But yep. you, when you break it down to the little things and the steps that the government have put in place to to keep people in poverty and to, to put mm-hmm. them in there, you know, mm-hmm. governments, you know, it's, it's not some jackboot heel that, you know, they want people in poverty. They just don't care. And they, yeah. they don't care enough to lift people out of it. And that's the big difference. If listeners and viewers are interested to end poverty, they should certainly consider supporting and joining the Australian progressives. Uh, what other good reasons are there for them to join or support you? Well, the Australian progressives, um, we, we are a, a different kind of political party. So we're, we're not driven by a particular ideology like we're, we're not we we like to say we're not left wing we're not right wing we just want to see progress with principles and we sign up to a set of values which um, I think they're a bit hard to argue with but they're around ethics empathy evidence empowerment equality and engagement and so our, our policy platform fits around those those E's, as we call them, because they all start mm-hmm. with the letter E. It's a bit cute. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and since I, I became president of the um, Progressives just a few months ago, and um, I like to sort of say that we fundamentally stand for three things. So one is around the reduction of inequality. So we can see that um, inequality causes all sorts of social problems mm-hmm. and ending poverty is within that reducing inequality um, um, pillar. Another is um, we we would like to clean up politics because we think politicians um, make a lot of bad decisions because 
um, there are big political donors. Uh, for example, the coal, mm. the coal lobby would be a good example. Um, and they've effectively, I think it's quadrupled their donations to political parties, to major political yep. parties over the last yep. few years. So how can you make a good government decision about um, transitioning away from um, carbon-based fuels into renewable energy when you're beholden to those those moneyed Correct. interests. So, so we, you guys don't take money from... We don't. We, we have the strictest donations policy that we know of in the country, mm -hmm. so we, we don't take donations from uh, corporations or organisations. We mm -hmm. will take donations from individuals only and they, they cannot be used to, to purchase favours from us. So cleaning up politics is one, and we, we have seen an erosion of ethics and accountability in government. Mm. And again, using my experience in international development and working with so-called third world countries, you can see that mm -hmm. corruption causes so many um, social and um, service delivery problems uh, in countries. And we don't want to see that here in Australia. So cleaning up politics is the, the second big thing. And the third is that we, we want to plan for the next 100 years, not just for the next three-year election cycle. So if you're planning <laughs> for 100 years, you need to look at, at the legacy that, that we leave around um, ending poverty and, and having mm. affordable housing and, and having basic income. So, so, so you don't look at short-term solutions. No, That's unusual. It is unusual. So I think we, we do offer something different. We're also incredibly inclusive. So I like to say that our party represents Australia. We have people of colour in our party and, and I think it's a safe space to be. If, mm -hmm. if people are a bit daunted by the thought of joining a political party, we like to say it's it's like joining a bit of a social group um, where you are welcome. Um, we are um, we've got a lot of um, age diversity, gender diversity, cultural diversity mm -hmm. uh, within our party. Even socioeconomic diversity would be would be another thing that I would say. So so yeah. we are we are a party for all people, and we're very welcoming and inclusive. And with at with at uh, at the bar, <laughs> serving us drinks. Yes, that kind of party. <laughs> That's my election promise. If I'm elected, for cocktails for everyone. Oh, I love it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you shouldn't have said that. <laughs> We're holding you to that, Ed. Yeah, That's great. Right. <laughs> and, and um, do you want to talk a little bit about the recent bill that was passed um, that created a lot of contro controversy amongst minor parties? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Over to yeah. you, Ed. You can you can talk about this one. <laughs> yeah. So this one, um, so it's a couple of weeks ago now, um, but there was there was a, a series of four bills that came through Parliament that was um, specifically about changing the Electoral Act. Um, so the Electoral mm. Act it governs. Uh, what is a political party? How do you make one? How do you be one? Um, what is a political organisation? You know, you know. So if you've if you've ever heard of um, Get Up, um, you mm -hmm. know, so that's like an organisation as opposed to a party. Um, you know, things about how election day runs. You know, there's the, all yeah. of the logistics and the the detail that goes into that is in the Electoral Act. And the, mm. um, the government rushed through a series of changes, um, the most important of which was an increase of the member requirements for parties that don't have a member of parliament uh, from mm -hmm. 500 to 1500. So a threefold increase um, mm. in the member requirements. Um, doesn't sound like a lot, but yeah. 
it's it's surprisingly difficult to get people engaged in politics in Australia, um, mm. and particularly if you're a, a single issue party. Um, yeah. You know, there's like climate emergency or yeah. pirate party who they focus on um, like uh, uh, freedoms and like electronic freedoms in particular. Um, okay. Or like the federal ICAC now party, um, mm-hmm. you know, really good people. That that's an important cause. You know, Australian progressives support that, but they are a specific. We want to see this. We fight over this one issue, and getting yeah. fifteen hundred people that say I care enough about this one issue, and I'm just going to join that party, as opposed to progressives that support that, but other things as well. Yeah, is yeah. really hard. One of the other changes was a um, an increase, um, or I should say, a decrease in the reporting value for political organisations. Um, mm. So if you spend enough money on what they consider uh, an election campaign um, or political-related issues, um, okay. you can be considered a political organisation. Um, so oh. this is really important for things like charities, um, churches like St Vincent de Paul or Salvos. But what about Murdoch newspapers? They're... So they're not included in that. There's always a loophole. Um, they, but they fit the criteria perfectly. They would, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And we we see that with um with the you know like the political spam messaging we have now. Yeah. You know, <laughs> if, if if you're just a general business and you go out and you spam the entirety of Australia, yeah. um, everyone you're going to be in jail pretty quickly. But there's always a loophole. And so the vested mm. interests or the people that that kind of want to keep power and hold on to power. Um, mm. they build these loopholes in. And usually these are large organisations that have a lot of, uh, you know, political influence, yes, right? absolutely. That, that get away with it. Uh, sorry, Therese, you're going to add something to it? Yeah, just that, um, that the fundamental issue for parties like the progressives and other minor parties is the, the tripling of the requirement for members. So mm. we used to only need 500, as Ed mentioned, now it's 1,500. So mm. we are actively recruiting members at the moment to stay registered and so that we mm. can run candidates at the next election. So we need another couple of hundred members. So yeah. we, um, we're out there spruiking ourselves and uh, <laughs> trying to get um, more information out there, which can be hard and for a party like us without a, a big budget to spend on it. Why is it important for people to 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 become members of, of small smaller parties rather than the big well, let's say big three, you've got the label liberals greens. Well, this this might um, appeal to your listeners um, and people of colour, mm. and it's because in in Parliament you want to um, have representation in Parliament of as diverse a range of views as possible. So if you've only got uh, the major parties uh, in Parliament, where mm. are the, where are the voices as your representatives in Parliament calling out issues around mm. poverty or homelessness or refugee yep. services and that sort of thing? So yep. the more minor parties and independents you can have in in Parliament, the, the the greater the diversity of voice is, and and you can prevent legislation being passed um, that is fundamentally not good for the the the, the mm. population, or you can negotiate and navigate amendments to legislation that are going through. So I think those minor parties are becoming um, ever more important, especially as we see the the major parties. 
um, policy platform is getting a bit more closely aligned <laughs> around yes. things like um, um, there, there's no major party that will push climate change wholeheartedly, um, mm. for, for example, which is why it's been um, important for many people in the community to have Greens representatives in Parliament. But yeah. you, can, you can have um, even more diverse voices if you support yeah. a minor party. And to keep us alive, uh, we, we need uh, people to, to join. And is it true that it's free to join? That is true. Uh, so it's free <laughs> to join. For a limited time only. <laughs> Uh, look, we, we have no joining fee. Um, mm. We are considering our options um, around um, around membership fees, but um, again, looking at something that's either a voluntary kind of membership fee on a, on a mm. sliding scale, depending on your income. So I don't think sure. it will be onerous for anyone and it's still a discussion um, underway uh, by our national sure. executive, but currently free to join, yes. So if people are interested to learn more about your party, party they don't want to join yet, but they want to check you guys out, want to learn more about you, I mean, what, who should they reach out to? What should they do? Yep, so um, our, our website is www.progressives.org.au, as demonstrated by Ed. So I uh, really encourage people to have a look at our website. And um, we have, um, yeah, encourage people to get in touch by email, uh, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, we have mm. all sorts of social media platforms out there. So a message on our Facebook page. Uh, and if someone wants to have a one-on-one uh, -on -one chat, we're, we're also happy to do that. That's great. Well, with that, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I feel like I learned a lot about poverty. I also learned a lot about, you know, some of the stuff that's happening with minor parties um, as well, which is very important. Um, thank you. Thanks so much, Tarini. Thank you. Thank you, Tarini. Thank you for having us. It's been a pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to hit subscribe. Allies in Politics podcast is part of the larger Allies in Colour organisation, where we advance people of colour in jobs, business and politics. Follow us on Twitter at Allies in Colour, and also don't forget to join our Facebook group with the same name. Until next time. <laughs>